Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Listen to tales of dastardly pirates and amazing innovators, catastrophic accidents and devious crimes. This podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception. So get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. As I don't believe in sanitising the facts of history, these episodes may contain information that some people find disturbing. story this week happened in 1915. But what else happened that year? Well, on January the 1st, British Royal Navy battleship HMS Formidable is sunk off Lyme Regis in Dorset, England by an Imperial German Navy U-boat with the loss of 547 crew. On January the 25th, The first United States coast-to-coast long-distance telephone call is facilitated by the newly invented vacuum tube amplifier, ceremonially inaugurated by Alexander Graham Bell in New York City and his former assistant, Thomas A. Watson, in San Francisco, California. During February, whilst working as a cook at New York's Sloan Hospital for Women under an assumed name, Typhoid Mary, who was an asymptomatic carrier of typhoid fever, infects 25 people and is placed in quarantine for life on March the 27th. On April the 19th, the Armenian genocide begins at scale with the defence of Van, continuing to May the 17th, during which time 55,000 civilians from the Ottoman-Armenian population of Van Vilayet will be massacred by Turkish Ottoman forces. On May the 23rd, Italy joins the Allies after declaring war on Austria-Hungary during World War I. May the 7th saw the sinking of the Royal Mail ship Lusitania, Royal Mail ship Titanic's main rival. The British ocean liner Lusitania is sunk by Imperial German Navy U-boat U-20 off the southwest coast of Ireland, killing 1,198 civilians en route from New York City to Liverpool. The best known of these celebrities on board was Alfred Gwynne Vanderbilt, who was an American sportsman. On September the 6th, The prototype military tank is first tested by the British Army. On October the 12th, British nurse Edith Cavell is executed by the German firing squad for helping Allied soldiers escape from Belgium. On November the 21st, British polar exploration ship Endurance finally breaks apart from pressure of ice around it and sinks into the Weddell Sea stranding Ernest Shackleton's Imperial Transatlantic Expedition Party in the Antarctic. The wreck is discovered at a depth of 3,008 metres 
107 years later this year. And on the 10th of December, the one millionth Ford car rolls off the assembly line at the River Rouge plant in Detroit, Michigan. But the event we're talking about today happened right at the end of that year, on the 30th of December, when the SS Persia, a P&O passenger liner built in 1900 by Caird and Company in the Clyde, Greenock, Scotland, was torpedoed and sunk without warning by German U-boat U-38. Word of the Week And this week it's my honour to present you with the word Angel Twitch which comes from Devon and it's an excitable, fast-moving child or creature typically one that can't seem to stay still and I don't know about you but toddlers spring to mind when I think of this word The SS Persia left Tilbury Docks on the 18th of December with 519 passengers and crew on board, 184 of which were passengers. According to a contemporary news article, She was very heavily loaded with parcel, post and mails, but there was very little cargo on board and no war material. After calling at Gibraltar and Marseille, the Persia headed towards the Suez Canal, on its route to India. On the 30th of December though, its journey was abruptly ended in the Mediterranean. Londoner Georgina Lee wrote in her diary on January the 3rd, 1916. Another terrible tragedy like the Lustina horror. This time a P&O liner, the Persia, has been torpedoed in the Mediterranean off Crete without warning. Out of about 500 souls, 334 have been lost, including 60 women and children. There was no panic. A few boats were lowered, and as the ship went down, a few among those washed overboard were taken up into the boats, but the vast majority were drowned. Some of the lost are American including the American consul for Aden and his secretary. Perhaps this new outrage will at last arouse President Wilson's anger and break his determination to remain patient. Lee's diary entry gives a good insight, though, into the public revulsion at attacks of this sort. A New Zealand newspaper referred a profound sensation throughout Great Britain caused by the sinking of the Persia following the recent piratical destruction of French and Japanese ships. The SS Persia was sunk at lunchtime on the 30th of December 1915, southeast of Crete, by German submarine U-38, which had not issued a warning to the ship before opening fire. Survivors were transported to Malta, and Lord Montague was amongst them. His account of the disaster was cabled to London from Malta, and read. A ship was struck without any warning at about 1.10pm and sank in a few minutes. All our passengers were enjoying tiffin when a big explosion occurred on the port side, abreast of the forward engine room. Boats were lowered rapidly and the passengers rushed to get life belts, but three boats were smashed while they were being lowered. Many persons were thrown into the sea. 
The Persia then heeled over to the port side so much that it was impossible to stand. She then turned over and sank stone first, many severe explosions taking place when the water reached the fires. I was swept off deck and sucked down. When I found myself surrounded by human beings battling for dear life, we saw three boats bottom upwards and each struggled to get a hold of any wreckage floating about. After we had been in the water for several hours, many having died in the meantime, we were finally rescued after great difficulty by the Alfred Holt liner Ning Chao and proceeded to Malta soon after daylight. There were several Americans on board, very nice fellows they seemed. I am extremely lucky to have been saved. Our chances of being picked up on a dark night from the place of wreckage appeared to be very doubtful. There appears to have been very little panic and the Laskers acted well. I think it was due to the third officer in charge, Donald McLean, the vigilance of the lookout and the excellent seamanship of the captain of the Ning Chao in manoeuvring his vessel alongside the broken boat that we were rescued. All the officers of the Persia appear to have been lost. Robert McNeely, American consul at Arden, is known to have drowned. The Aberdeen Evening Express for Tuesday the 4th of January 1916 had a small description of Lord Montague. He is a great sportsman and has conducted a motor weekly newspaper for 14 years. He is the director of a powder factory and is one of the leading spirits in the automobile club. An enthusiast in the development of aeroplaning, a recognised road expert and a great traveller. He is on his way up to India to take up military work. The military work in question was to oversee the effectiveness of motorised units for the army in India. He managed to survive the sinking by clinging to an upturned lifeboat for 36 hours. The survivors on the four lifeboats were picked up during the second night after the sinking by the minesweeper HMS Mallow. Only 15 of the women on board survived, among them British actress Anne Codrington who was pregnant at the time with her daughter, Patricia Hilliard. Sadly, Anne lost her mother in the sinking, Mrs. Helen Codrington. 67 crewmen from the then Portuguese colony of Goa also perished. Most of them were stewards. In total, 343 of the 519 aboard perished that fateful night. Service personnel who died on the SS Persia are recorded at the Commonwealth War Graves Memorial at Chatby, Alexandria. The wreck of the Persia was located off Crete in 2003 at a depth of 10,000 feet or 3,000 metres. An attempt was made to salvage the treasure located in the bullion room. The salvage attempt met with limited success retrieving artefacts and portions of the ship, and some jewels from the bullion room. Some of the gems have since been made into commemorative jewellery. <laughs> Word on the street. 
today we'll be traveling to BS Five and Earl Russell Way, named after the inn of the same name, which in turn honors Lord John Russell. Born in 1792 and died in 1878, he served as Prime Minister from 1846 to 1851. He was instrumental in formulating the 1832 Reform Bill, and his government was responsible for the free trade movement and the reduction in working hours for women. Now it has to be said that the most glamorous person by far on the SS Persia was Elena Velasco Thornton, or Nellie Thornton. She was born in 1880 in Stockwell, the daughter of an Australian engineer, and has supposedly found immortality as the model for the female figure on the bonnet of Rolls-Royce cars. She worked as secretary to Claude Johnson. The first secretary of the Royal Automobile Club until 1902, when he became a partner at Rolls-Royce, and she became the personal assistant of John Douglas Scott Montague, MP, later Lord Montague, the owner of the Cart Illustrated. Thornton went on to become his mistress, and they reportedly had an illegitimate child together, which was given up for adoption. Montague was married to someone else, but but it is said that Montague's wife, Lady Cecil, condoned the relationship and even befriended Thornton, who was 22 when she died on the SS Persia. In a letter to her husband, dated 1915, Lady Cecil, who had continued to tolerate the relationship, wrote, "I hope and pray that you may come back safely." I am proud to know that you are so much wanted and that your services are appreciated. I am glad that Miss Thornton is going to Aden. And in the reply that Eleanor wrote to Lady Cecil, she says, "You have the satisfaction to know that he will be well looked after. I do not think for one moment that there will be any trouble in the med. But supposing, the Lord will have an extra chance, for there will be a place in my boat for him." Even if he has to be stunned to take it, this exchange of letters just before the voyage shows how informal and close this Edwardian love triangle was. The probate registry for June 1916 shows that Eleanor's sister Rose. Was at that time the last surviving member of her immediate family, and she administered her will. Amongst her effects, Eleanor had a similar silver model of the spirit of ecstasy, which it is presumed Rose kept. Rose went on to marry Gordon Willis Hayter in 1923, and many years later, the silver model was stolen from the home of Dorothy Hayter. Gordon's second wife. The high society love affair between Montague and Thornton was kept a secret for many years to avoid scandal. Not about the affair, but about the fact that Eleanor was from a very distinctly working-class background. But later in life, Lord Montague wrote in a letter to his daughter with Thornton that Thorn, as he used to call her, was 
the most wonderful and lovable woman I have ever met. If she loved as few women love, I equally loved her as few men love. The famous figure for the Rolls-Royce cars was commissioned in 1910 by Johnson from sculptor Charles Robinson Sykes. There were rumours immediately after its unveiling that the figure was Thornton, who had certainly been Sykes' favourite model, posing for many of his paintings, sketches and sculptures. Sykes' brief from Claude Johnson had been to evoke the spirit of mythical beauty Nike. In Greek mythology, Nike was a goddess who personified victory in any field, including art, music, war and athletics. She was often portrayed in Greek art as a winged victory in the motion of flight, and a more feminine form of this was what Sykes wanted to capture. Jo Sykes, the daughter of the sculptor, remembers Eleanor Thornton as a strong, vigorous, statuesque woman, rather like Nike in many ways, and not the floating delicate form embodied in the spirit of ecstasy. So, although Eleanor probably did pose for the specific purpose of helping Charles develop his design for the mascot, it's not in its finished form a figure of her or any real person. But Eleanor's form did have an impact on the finished work. The name by which the figurine would become popularly known had emerged in a letter from Rolls-Royce to John Montague, in which the company explained that it sought a mascot that would convey. In the model of a little lady, the spirit of the Rolls-Royce, namely speed with silence, absence of vibration, the mysterious harnessing of great energy, a beautiful living organism of superb grace like a sailing yacht. Such is the spirit of the Rolls-Royce and such is the combination of virtues which Mr. Charles Sykes has expressed so admirably in The Graceful Little Lady, who is designed as a figurehead of the Rolls-Royce. The letter added that when Charles designed the graceful little goddess he had in mind, the spirit of ecstasy who has selected road travel as her supreme delight and alighted on the prow of a Rolls-Royce car to revel in the freshness of the air and the musical sound of her fluttering draperies. Rolls-Royce agreed that Charles would be the sole supplier of the mascot and production was organised from Sykes' family's maisonette above Herbert Bader's furrier's shop at 193 Brompton Road, West London. It was in his studio there that Sykes designed The Spirit of Ecstasy and sculpted the original model. After the death of his wife in 1919, Montague went on to marry again, this time to Pearl Craig, and had four more children by her. In later life, he did not seek to cover up his illicit romance with Eleanor Thornton, unveiling a plaque in her memory in the Montague family chapel and an exhibition about the sinking of the Persia opened at Bewley in 2008. In the news today, 
Buffins in Bristol have discovered that computers get drunk by taking screenshots. The History of North America podcast is a sweeping historical saga of the United States, Canada, and Mexico from their deep origins to our present epoch. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this exciting, fascinating, epic journey through time, focusing on the compelling, wonderful, and tragic stories of North America's inhabitants, heroes, villains, leaders, environment, and geography. This incredible historical adventure follows a path of exciting events led by interesting people who reach beyond their grasp to touch key moments in time. The History of North America podcast series is an educational and entertaining look at the thrilling chronicle of North America, an action-packed tale of a continent that is still unfolding. I invite you to come along for the ride. Back in the day facts. Let's start off with the 17th of July, 1791, when members of the French National Guard, under command of General Lafayette, opened fire on a crowd of radical Jacobins at Champ de Mars, Paris, during the French Revolution, killing up to 50 people. On the 18th of July, in the year 64, The Great Fire of Rome begins under the Emperor Nero. On the 18th of July, 1938, Douglas Wrongway Corrigan arrives in Ireland after a 28-hour flight. He left New York and was supposed to have been heading towards California. But all was not as it would seem. Douglas Corrigan was the last of the early glory-seeking flyers, and his takeoff from Floyd Bennett Field in Brooklyn, New York, was a flight that would finally win him a place in aviation history. Eleven years earlier, American Charles A. Lindbergh had become an international celebrity with his solo, non-stop flight across the Atlantic. Corrigan was one of the mechanics who had worked on Lindbergh's Spirit of St. Louis aircraft, but he wanted his name to go down in history for more than just being a mechanic. In 1938, he bought a 1929 Curtis Robin aircraft off a trash heap, rebuilt it and modified it for long-distance flight. In July 1938, Corrigan piloted the single-engine plane non-stop from California to New York. Although the transcontinental flight was far from unprecedented, Corrigan received national attention simply because the press was amazed that this rattletrap aircraft had survived the journey. Almost immediately after arriving in New York, he filed plans for a transatlantic flight, but aviation authorities decided it was a suicide flight, and he was promptly denied. Instead, they would allow him to fly back to the West Coast, and on July the 17th, he took off from Floyd Bennett Field ostentatiously pointed west. However, a few minutes later, he made a 180-degree turn and vanished into a cloud bank to the puzzlement of a few onlookers. 28 hours later, 
Corrigan landed his plane in Dublin, Ireland, stepped out and exclaimed, I've just got in from New York, where am I? He claimed he had lost his direction in the clouds and that his compass had malfunctioned. The authorities didn't buy the story and suspended his licence. But Corrigan stuck to his story, to the amusement of the public on both sides of the Atlantic. He was nicknamed Wrongway Corrigan, and by the time he and his crafted plane returned to New York by ship, his licence suspension had been lifted. He was a national celebrity, and a mob of autograph seekers met him on the gangway. On the 19th of July, 1324, Mansa Musa, the ruler of the Mali Empire, arrives in Cairo on his way to Mecca with a procession of, wait for it, 600,000 men, 12,000 slaves and 80 camels carrying 136 kilograms or 300 pounds of gold each. On the 19th of July... In 1843, the steamship SS Great Britain is launched. Designed by Isambard Kingdom Brunel, it's the first ocean-going craft with an iron hull or screw propeller and the largest vessel to float in the world. The 20th of July 1969 saw the Apollo 11 lunar module carrying Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin land on the surface of the moon. Aldrin and Armstrong walk on the moon seven hours later. Michael Collins remains in orbit in the lunar module. And the 21st of July, 1990, Pink Floyd's The Wall is performed where the Berlin Wall once stood. This charity concert is led by Roger Waters, with guests including Cindy Lauper, Joni Mitchell, The Scorpions, Sinead O'Connor, Brian Adams, The Band, Van Morrison and The Hooters. This concert helped raise money for the Memorial Fund International Relief, as started by Group Commander Leonard Cheshire, VC. Unless we take into account the needs of other people, we, it's to our own loss. So everything that's happening to me is a great hope for the future. And the, the terrible memory of war is receding. I'm sure I know that world war will never happen again because the weapon's too powerful. But you've still got to build peace. You've got to work to try and make life better for those that are oppressed and uh, or under injustice and um, try and do away with uh, confrontation and divisions. that is the end of the show today but I hope you enjoyed it and found it as interesting as I did researching it now the real heroes of this show are Carrie Ball Joe Wilson Molly Jeffries Kate Kendall and Sam Roberts from St Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol Steve Shepherd from Bradley Stoke Radio and Cerise Reed. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at 
Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other.